Well, I want you to consider just a few questions briefly. Did you make New Year's resolutions for 2022? And if so, how are you doing? According to a study from 2016, 41% of Americans participated in making New Year's resolutions in that year. And most of their resolutions re revolved around things along diet, exercise, and, and losing weight. And according to that same study, only about 9% of the people felt like they succeeded in keeping their resolutions through the end of the year. So let me just make, make a, a few observations about this. First of all, people want to change. People recognize that they need to change, and so they take action on it, and they, they resolve to do something different in the year ahead. And furthermore, the people want to change externally. They want to change perhaps their appearances or the way they feel. And finally, most people fail to change, though they want to change. So we see ourselves as Christians also. We, too, we desire to change, and we ought to be even more resolved towards this end than those who simply wish to lose weight. We need a change from our sinful ways. And we of all people should be motivated to that end. We're going to see this here shortly, but Colossians 3 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So we ought to be motivated to change in light of this. It's not just there. Galatians 5 says something really similar. You know the fruit of the Spirit, but he also talks about the works of the flesh. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So understand, we must change. This is not optional for those who wish to be with Christ when he returns. But this change isn't just simply due to a demand from God saying, you need to change. No, we actually want to change. This is not just a demand, it is our desire. Jesus speaks of such desire in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so I do hope this morning, there are those of you who actually desire to be righteous, that you hunger and thirst for it. That we would say with David in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So the change that we desire is something we ought to be striving towards. And yet I wonder how many of us, like those who have made New Year's resolutions, who aren't able to keep them, I wonder how many of us would say that we struggle to change. I know I do. Most of you see me as the preacher. And it's easy when I'm up here behind the pulpit with my act together for me to appear as if I have it all together. But don't be deceived. I don't have it all together. I long to be a a better dad who's more patient with his kids, a more loving husband who is sacrificial towards my wife. And I also want to be a, a better brother towards you all who loves you as I love myself. 
So I wonder if you are with me and asking, is this change possible? Surely I'm not the only one who sees my need for change and not only the need for it, but also the desire to change. And Paul too, he finds himself in a similar place when he wrote to the Romans in chapter seven. So I find it a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And here as we come to the end of Colossians chapter 2, we see an answer to that question, or at least the beginning of an answer to who is going to deliver us from this body of death. We begin to see the answer to the question, is change really possible? And today's text, it acts as a type of hinge here as the close of chapter 2 comes and the the beginning of chapter 3 is right around the corner as as Paul has been dealing with the Colossian heresy through chapter 2, he lays that argument to a close as he introduces the new focus, that is, the, the Christian life. How it is that we're able to actually do what God calls us to do. So let me remind you of what we've been learning in Colossians 2. Let me sum it up in verse 8. He has told us, Paul and the Colossians, he's told us, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And yet in today's text, we see that some have clearly began to be taken captive by these teachings, by these elemental spirits. Listen to our text this morning, starting in verse 20. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Today's text shows us some more about what was going on in the teaching of of the day. This is the, the teaching that was was going on, their philosophies and their empty deceit. They would, they would tell the Colossians, these Christians, that they had to follow certain regulations, namely that they were not to handle certain things. They were not to taste certain food. They were not to touch certain things. And furthermore, in verse 22, we see what it is that Paul has in mind. He says, these are referring to things that perish as they are used. So, becomes more clear to us that he he has in mind perhaps food and drink, that which he mentioned previously as well. So I want us to understand this. This is what Paul is telling us to do. We are to reject that which only deals with the external man. That's what I'm taking from him saying these are the things that are referring to the things that perish as they are used. So let me explain what I mean by the external man. I'm talking about the physical body. I am talking about the the, the frame that God has given us that will perish and the things that we feed and drink on so that this body might be sustained in this life. These teachers, they're making more out of this body than they do of the soul. 
They're making more of the, the regulations by which we eat certain things and reject other things than that of godliness. And yet Paul tells Timothy elsewhere that the body, training the body, it is of some value. So don't reject the body altogether, but understand there is something of far greater value than the body. He tells us godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So do you want to change? Hopefully it's not just your body that you want to train and to be changed, but hopefully you want to change so that you would be godly. And this is the change that Paul has in mind here. And, and the Colossian teachers, these false teachers, have in mind merely changing the external man. And so we should be reminded of that which our Lord taught regarding this very subject. What is it that defiles a person before God? Dirt? Disease? Food in the mouth? Matthew 15, and Jesus called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then in verse 17, he explains it. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Now the kids would chuckle here. We would say it this way. Whatever passes into the mouth and the stomach is then flushed. Recall what we just saw in Colossians. These false teachers, they were saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And Paul then says, these are things that perish as they used. And so Jesus would say to that end, the very same thing. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So it is not the food that we do or do not touch or do or do not taste or do or do not handle. These are not the things that make us clean or unclean before God. What is it that defiles us? It is the words that come from our mouth. Crude jokes obscene talk, gossip, false witness, slander, and the things like these. We might even add rage and anger. And it's not simply because these things are done that we're unclean. No, these things are simply a, a hint at what's on the inside. And so what we're needed is not simply to, to clean our tongue. We have unclean hearts. And those hearts need cleansing. And rules and regulations, human philosophies and disciplines cannot change the heart. They can only change the outside of a man. These rules and regulations of these Pharisees, that Matthew, that, that Jesus is talking to in Matthew, and the rules and regulations that Paul, again, is addressing, it only aims at cleaning the outside of the cup, but it cannot clean what is on the inside. We should know this if you've ever had a, a coffee thermos that you left in your car with creamer for a couple days. It starts to stink, doesn't it? Imagine this, that you take that thermos and you didn't want to open it up because it stinks so bad, so you just stuck it in the dishwasher with the lid on. How effective would that be? Well, it would be clean on the outside, but I wouldn't want to use it, and you wouldn't either. No, you want to take it apart 
every gasket, every seal, you want to clean it thoroughly before you use it again. And so it is of these rules and regulations. They make the tombs all white on the outside while it leaves the inside of the tomb with unclean, decaying flesh and bones. When laws and regulations are applied to cold, dead heart that do not love God, it only makes a legalistic Pharisee. And it will not make a Christian who's acceptable in the sight of God. And so to this end, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You traveled across the sea and land to make a single prostitute, and when he becomes a prostitute, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now, how could Jesus say such strong words to such moral and good people? Well, going to the fact that what God sees is not the same thing that you and I see. We learn this from 1 Samuel. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So understand this, it doesn't matter how you come to church this morning and your Sunday best, watching what you say in front of God's people, it doesn't matter if what's on the inside is unclean. And so it is, Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So this is why around here we love the gospel. And this is why we reject moralistic modification. Rules and regulations, these moralistic demands that some would put on you. They only clean the outside of the cup, but the gospel, when it is preached and it comes alongside with the Spirit of God, it cleans the inside. Regulations dress up dry bones to try to make them appear as if they were alive, but the Spirit of God that accompanies the gospel causes dry bones to rattle until they have flesh on them and come to life. This is the vision in Ezekiel 37. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Only the gospel can do this. Only Jesus Christ can cause that which is dead to come to life. And so it is. We reject that which only deals with the external man. But this isn't all we reject. He continues, Colossians 2, 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are the teachings that are being put on them. These refer to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Hopefully this is familiar to you because we've seen this all over the place in Colossians chapter 2. But we also reject that which merely comes from men. Paul has labored to make that clear. These are human philosophies, an empty deceit. And yet all the same, I recognize an irony to what's going on right now as I preach. And the irony does not escape me because I am just a man and I am declaring to you things that you ought to do. 
And so here comes my struggle as a preacher. Here I am. I am to open my mouth and address you as God's people. But am I to do so in a way that comes from my imagination? Or is it to come from God? Understand, if it comes from me, you are to reject it. But whatever I say that is found in the word of God, you are to hear it as if it were coming from God itself. For that is what scripture is. It is God's word. And furthermore, if you think we should just read scripture then and not preach, understand preaching isn't even my idea. I wouldn't have chosen to do this. It is not a man-made idea, this, this thing we're doing, but it is designed and commanded by God. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourselves to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So understand, it's not just merely having the word of God read that God has designed for us to receive God's word. Yes, we do read it, but he says it also should be taught. Understand, if it was not taught, we would probably be really confused. The word of God was not taught. I know I would be really confused. And more than that, though, it's not simply just to be read and taught, but he says it's also to be done with exhortation. That is, to be urged, to be pleaded with towards something. There is to be a call towards action. For God's word is not simply to be read, it is not simply to be heard, but it is to be obeyed. And so the scripture must be taught and applied. But if we go beyond the scope of Scripture, if I today go beyond that which God has said, then I am out of line. Who am I to tell you to do anything that God has not said? And even worse, who am I to tell you to go against anything that God has commanded? Am I to tell you to go right if God tells you to go left? Or am I to tell you to go left when he might say to go right? Or am I to offer blessing where he gives curses? Or am I to curse where he has in fact blessed the people of God? Absolutely not. I am nothing more than a messenger. But make no mistake about it. When the word of God is rightly read and interpreted and applied. Understand, those are not man-made regulations, but they are the very word of God. Preachers do not speak from their own authority, but they are, they are ambassadors, messengers of the King of Kings. And Jesus said in the sermon, you know this one here, right? The, the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven has been given to me. It's Jesus speaking. All authority is his. And then he says this to the disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So God's word, it is full of command that we are to observe and obey. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. These are God's commands. But if I were to command you, do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. You need to understand these are the regulations of men and you are to reject them altogether. Do not listen to those 
who make commandments on matters where the scriptures are otherwise silent. These regulations, these man-made regulations aren't just from men. Understand even more so, they are from demons. This is seen in our text already. He's talking about this elemental spirits that they're, they're starting to obey those spirits. Understand, they're demons. If you don't see it clearly in our text, look at it from 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says in later times that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And listen, this is how they're teaching. And it's going to sound really familiar to what we're seeing here in the Colossian heresy. They forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So understand this thing called marriage that some were telling these believers to to abstain from. The union between a man and a woman. It is not man's idea, but God's. And it wasn't even a result of the fall. No, marriage was a good gift given to Adam there in the garden. And so it was, and so it is, a good gift given from God. And so if anyone would command any man or any woman to not be given in marriage, the union of a, a man and a woman, then they are to reject such a command. Because Paul tells us very clearly here, it ought to be received with thanksgiving and prayer. And the very same thing goes for food. So that which God gives is to be received with thanksgiving. But what God forbids, what he tells us not to touch, we are to therefore reject. And here he tells us to reject that which comes from man and not from God. And so understand, when God gave Adam and Eve all the trees and all the fruit in the garden to eat, it was theirs to eat and to enjoy. But when he said, do not eat of that one forbidden tree, that one forbidden fruit, that should have been obeyed. So it is that we find even in this very text, we are not to receive the words that come from mere men. And this is illustrated so clearly throughout the Old Testament in so many ways, but consider just the battles that Israel fought on behalf of the Lord. God commanded his people to go to war that, that on paper, when you looked at it, you'd go, yeah, they're going to lose, you know? Joshua and Jericho marching around the city. What kind of siege tactic is that? Gideon versus Midian. Get rid of your army and then get rid of your weapons. Go in with just pots of fire and you're going to win the battle. You know these stories, both of them lead to victory. Joshua and Gideon, they both win, not because of the wisdom of men, nor the power of men, but because of the power and wisdom of God. But then there's another battle that was lost by Israel because the men planned to win using their own imagination, their own plans, their own strategies. Listen to it from 1 Samuel 4. And when the people came to camp, the elders of Israel said, understand who these are. These are the leaders in Israel. The elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it might come with us 
and save us from the power of our enemy. This is man's plan, not God's plan. But they're going to use the Ark of the Covenant to try to bring God into battle with them. And the result of it, we should read the whole story, but in verse 10, so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home, and there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And so it is, if any person who tries to win this spiritual battle using man-made tactics, if we try to fight sin with man-made rules and regulations, it will always lead to your defeat. Now, just a word on man-made regulations, lest anyone misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not telling you to therefore go out and speed on your way home and break the law. And kids, I am not telling you to not listen to your parents' rules for the home. Speed limits are placed by governing authorities for our good, and kids, even your own parents' rules are for your good as well. And even the scriptures themselves would instruct us to obey both the governing authorities and our parents. So I'm not just telling you to therefore go break every man-made rule. More on this could be said. Perhaps I'll just pick on kids for just a moment. Kids, if your parents tell you that you are not to date a non-believer, they are not imposing unbiblical regulations on you. These are not man-made rules, but this is wisdom that comes from God to your parents for your good. And it's seen all over the place, but let me just quote from Proverbs chapter 5. This is the words of a father to his son. He says, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey that is, they are sweet. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. And in verse seven, and now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near to the door of her house. Understand this. Your parents' kids tell you that you are not to date a non-believer that comes from the word of God. It is wisdom from God through your parents for your good lest you taste the bitter wormwood and feel the edge of her sword. And so, obey governing authorities. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Parents, obey your parents in the Lord. But when it comes to man-made rules and regulations that try to earn merit and favor from God, you are to reject it. That is what Paul has his sights on here. The man-made religion. So once again, this is why we cling to the gospel and we reject all other notions of religion that might come from the Pope or any other man for that matter. We cling to the gospel because it is not from man, but it comes from God. John three sixteen, you know it, but it shows it so clearly. This comes from God. It is God who loved the world and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Understand this, the gospel is not man's idea. It is God's plan, his plan, his idea to save us. We see the blueprints of the gospel all the way back in Genesis 3. 
And he said this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that, but that shadow that we talked about last week of, of the gospel, of Christ crucified, being bruised on our behalf, but in the meantime, having crushed the head of the serpent there on the cross. So what should we do then? We ought to reject man-made regulations who try to, to tell us how we might earn merit with God. For in doing so, if we accept such teachings, we contradict the gospel. For how does a person inherit the kingdom of God? With man, it is impossible. You know that. Jesus taught that. But with God, all things are possible. So if you give in to regulations from men, understand you are giving in to the teaching that will lead you away from Christ. So if I give you rules and regulations, understand this, my authority has its limits. If I were to tell you to take your shoes off in my house, because I just don't want you having shoes off in my house, well then take your shoes off in my house, be polite, you know? But... If I tell you to take your shoes off lest you defile your home and make your home unclean before the Lord, reject it. For that is not from God. These are not the commands and regulations of, of man, though, if we speak from the word of God. If I tell you, wives, submit to your husband, Ephesians 5, 22. These are not the rules and regulations of man. Husbands, love your wives. Once again, this is not the regulations of men, but the word of God. Children, obey your parents, Ephesians 6.1. This is God's commandment for you, kids. And we could go on and on and on. The commandments of God are for us to be kept, but the rules of men are not. So do not listen to the words of men who contradict the word of God. But now some will say, rules and regulations, they're so helpful sometimes. I could just know where the line is, then I could know where to go and where not to go lest I break God's commands. And Paul himself acknowledges this very reality in our text. Look at verse 23. He says about these, these rules and regulations, he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. So if you think rules and regulations are wise, Paul says, yeah, it, it looks wise. If they look helpful to help you know where to be religious and where not to be religious, well, yeah, he agrees. It, it, it promotes self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. They make a good show of the flesh externally. But let's remember, the Lord does not look on the outside the Lord does not see as a, a man sees, but he looks at the heart. So if you think, you know, man-made rules and regulations, they're helpful and they, they give us extra guardrails. Understand, the Pharisees thought the same way. The youth will recognize this because we just went through this this last week in the youth group. In Matthew 15, the Pharisees came to the scribes I'm sorry, the Pharisees and the scribes, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God 
commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he needs not honor his father. That's the false teaching that the Pharisees are, are spreading. So Jesus continues, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with, with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's useless. These man-made doctrines, it's, it doesn't please God. Just an outward signs of religion if, if on the inside our hearts are not ravished with love for Jesus. And so again, Paul says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the third and final point. We are to reject that which cannot stop the sinful man. Let me illustrate. When I was a kid, I went hunting with my dad and a, a family friend. And uh, it was probably like in third grade. So they gave us BB guns. And those BB guns may have had the power to bring down a, a squirrel, but I was not hunting that day for deer. For those BB guns would not bring down anything larger than a squirrel, perhaps, if I was close enough to shoot it. And so it is, that BB gun gave me the appearance of a hunter. I felt like a hunter out there in the woods. And yet, I had no power of a hunter to bring down any game worth bringing home. So too, these man-made rules and regulations, they have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. This is what John Piper calls pea-shooter regulations. They're weak and worthless. These modern rules that we come up with even, even today we have our own rules and regulations. They are weak and worthless. So let's understand this isn't just a problem for the Colossians. We see it today. We pick an easier one and then I'll, I'll go to a harder example. An easy one, first of all. You know this, that Catholic priests and nuns cannot get married. We already saw what, what 1 Timothy 4 says about this, but, but they are forbidden to marry. Let's speculate why for just a moment. Because marriage is difficult. And with marriage comes all kinds of sins. One of the primary shepherding problems we have here at Living Water Church is usually due to brokenness and sin within the confines of marriage. And we see this even seen in Scripture. This is an effect of the fall. Genesis 3:16 to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain shall bring forth children. And then furthermore, the desires of the woman shall be contrary to the husband, but he shall rule over you. And so every person here who's been married for longer than a week knows that which God is talking about here in Genesis 
We know the contrary desires of a husband and a wife. But what if one day the elders decided, you know what? There's so much sin happening here within the confines of marriage. Let's abolish it. No more marriage. No more weddings. We're done. What would you do with that? Would such a man-made rule and regulation cure the sinful heart of man? No. Okay, that's the easy one. Now let me get on one that might be a little bit more sensitive for some of us. It's one that hits close to home for me. You see, I grew up in a denomination where the minister couldn't drink alcohol, and not just the minister, but people were encouraged to do the same thing, to not, to not drink any alcohol. Due to the abuse of alcohol, these regulations appear to have value. But the scripture, while being full of warnings, also gives permission with regards to alcohol. Listen to the warning in Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. There's the wisdom and the warning. But now the permission in 1 Timothy 5, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Again, here's the command with regards to alcohol in Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, and be filled with the Spirit. But all at once, we would do well to remember that it was not grape juice that our Lord made during the wedding of Cana, but it was the finest wine. So sure, we might try to make regulations on the outside to try to, to fix a problem. And I'm not even saying you shouldn't not drink if you choose not to drink. But if we make a rule for all of God's people to reject alcohol, understand what we're doing. We're playing with the same peace you to regulations that have no power to stop the indulgences of the flesh. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used. We too ought to carefully consider perhaps what kind of external religious regulations that we have somehow made a law in our own homes in our own faith, for other Christians as well. Understand, I am, I am not opposed to rules and regulations. The youth on Wednesday night know I have tons of them. <laughs> but regulations that are put on the shoulders to justify a person before God, I hate. And furthermore, regulations that do not sanctify a person ought to altogether be rejected. There's something really neat though that's happening here in verse 23 that I want to highlight. Here are these rules and regulations. He says, these have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That word indulgence is interesting. It would be weird if they took it really literal in the translation, but it's no value in stopping the, the fullness of the flesh is what it could, could say. That is to say, it is of no value in stopping the, the desires for which the flesh longs for. It does not fill what is missing, these rules and these regulations. And which, that, that's intriguing to me because that's the theme of Colossians. Do you remember? The sufficiency of Christ. That he is all sufficient and all satisfying. 
that he is able to fill up what is otherwise lacking. And so we have it. These men made regulations. They do not fill up the flesh. They do not satisfy the the longings of the sinful flesh. But in the gospel, we have something, no better, someone who is able to satisfy. The other day here in the office, I forgot my lunch. And uh, so I went to the kitchen to see what there was. I'm like, do you guys know what that pirate booty is from Costco? <laughs> it's like, it's nothing. It's like air in my bag. It's like puffed corn, I think is what it is, with like cheese dust powder sprinkled on it. I ate a bag. <laughs> and I was still hungry. So I ate a second bag, and I was still hungry, and and it actually started making me feel sick. So it is of man-made regulations. They will not fill the flesh, but will still leave you wanting. So understand, what is it that we need? We need to be filled. The old sinful desires need to be replaced with something satisfying. Understand, once again, I'm going to give another illustration for those who may have seen Wallace and Gromit. You'll get it. If you haven't seen it, hopefully you bear with me. Wallace and Gromit, the curse of the were-rabbit. Wallace, he loves cheese and crackers, but he's getting a little fluffy. And so what does he need to do? He needs to go on a diet, and yet he doesn't want to go on a diet because he does not want to eat the food of rabbits. So what does he do? He builds a machine that will make him desire what rabbits desire, And then the rabbit, therefore, would desire what he desired. This is what we need. Not rules and regulations, not another diet with what we can eat or not eat. We know that if we go on a diet, we still are going to crave ice cream. So, too, if we put ourselves under rules and regulations, we will still have sinful, carnal, fleshly appetites that are just as sinful. They are still sin, these desires. And rules and regulations will not stop these desires of the flesh. And so what must we have? We must be made new. We must be, as the scripture says, born again. We must be given the new appetites that are good and right and pleasing to God so that we might say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. You see, this is the difference between Christianity and, and any other kind of legalistic Pharisaic religion. Pharisees do not love the law. Yes, they keep the law, but they do not love it. But the Christian who has been born again loves the law. And how is this made possible but through the death of Christ? So with that, let's consider just ever so briefly the top of our passage here. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? What is Paul talking about here? If with Christ you have died, he's saying if you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. The old has died and the new has come to life. And so if you have in fact died with him, 
And why do you again submit yourselves to these regulations? Paul, he, he expands more on this death with Christ in Romans chapter 7. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now that we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So if your morality is only based on written laws, on stone tablets, but not on law, the law that is written on your heart, understand this, you need to look to Jesus and believe in him. For by faith in him, that is the only way by which that law will ever be written on our hearts so that our desires would actually change. We need more than external changes. We need to be made new on the inside, cleaned on the inside. If your religion is that of a man-made invention, rules and regulations that are just put on your shoulders that you do not otherwise want to obey, then again, you must hear the word of God today and see Jesus in it. For understand, Jesus is the word of God incarnate. And he is altogether satisfying, altogether lovely, altogether sufficient to fill all which we might lack because he is from God. And if you are struggling against sin and wanting to be free of it, then taste and see that the Lord is good. For Jesus Christ, he is fully sufficient, fully satisfying. up on a, a story in John 4 where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. It is our desire today that we would drink of Christ, this living water, so that we would not thirst. So to that end, let me pray and ask the Lord to bless you. In